0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general information purposes only. You're listening to the 50 Shades of K podcast with host Elizabeth Kay, a podcast designed to empower, enlighten and entertain with perspectives that most women are thinking, but not always saying. This is 50 Shades of K. Well, I was asked before this interview if this is going to be like the vagina monologues and it kind <laughs> of is going to be like the vagina monologues. If you're a woman, then you don't need me to tell you that we are complex beings and our bodies are forever changing. Lucky us, but you know what? It's a beautiful thing too. But what should you be talking about with your OBGYN, especially when you hit that window of 35 to 50? That's what Dr. Allison Nelson is here to discuss today. She's an OBGYN at Moreland OBGYN in Waukesha, and she's here to explain more in depth how to make choices now that will impact your future health. And we are going to get to some of your Facebook questions that you submitted to so many of you sent fantastic questions we'll get to as many as we can we're going to talk about mammograms to menopause and everything in between which dr nelson is a great segue to our first question women in this stage 35 to 50 are not menopausal correct
2: yes so when we talk about this age range 35 to 50, we start to see some changes, and typically during this window, and it's different for every woman, we're going to term this phase perimenopause, and it's that transition, and we use that word a lot, transition to sort of a full menopausal state. So menopause is clinically defined as a year without periods. But the whole process takes a while. And perimenopause is where we start to see some changes, a lot of times related to the ovaries starting to shut down and hormone levels starting to decrease.
1: Now, if a woman is, let's say, 45 years old, should she be going through menopause at that point? So I mean, because there was a mixed listener that sent a message on Facebook that said she is that age. She is having night sweats and hot flashes is
2: this menopause the symptoms of menopause can certainly start to show up at that point you know i talk with my patients average age of menopause 51 which means for every woman that it goes, starts or it's done it's done you're defined as menopausal oh, okay. average age 51 which means that for every woman that goes through it at 53 there's someone who goes through it at 49 um, to kind of average that out but for a lot of women that lead up to when we define them as menopausal, and again, we define it for most women based on their period, is a variable amount of time. I tell my patients all the time, we all have a different story for how our periods started. Right? Yeah, we do. We all are going to have a different story for how they end.
1: So it's not like you can look back and say, well, what was it for your mom or what was it for your sister?
2: There, There is probably some hereditary stuff with menopause, but like most things, we can't totally base it on that if your mom went through it a little later you might be out more of a chance to go through it a little later. But it's unique. But it is unique to each individual patient. And
1: if you had a period, your first period young, does that mean you're likely going to hit menopause N- Not early? necessarily. Really?
2: Not necessarily. Okay,
1: but let's talk about some of the hormone changes that happen. Yeah. I talk to women that are in my life that are a little bit older than me that are starting to go through this, and they say they can't seem to regulate anything. I mean, I have one girlfriend now who talks about how she's having breakouts. Mm-hmm. And she's 43. Right.
2: And she's like, what am I, in high school? Like, what's with this? Yeah. So really the the central part of perimenopause is changing natural hormone levels. And we start to see estrogen and progesterone drop from a natural standpoint. And those are going to cause a lot of these side effects of menopause that women report. Now, obviously, the one we've all heard about, right, hot flashes. Yeah. Hot flashes are related to decreasing estrogen levels, and it's your body's response to that.
1: How can you combat that?
2: So for a lot, it's always how tolerable is it? If that's going to be a different story for each woman. Sure. Certainly, hormone replacement therapy is an option for some women. That's really a conversation that women have to have with their physician in terms of risk versus benefit, because that's going to be different for every woman.
1: 35 to 50, this age range. 15 years, a lot can happen there. Mm -hmm. People are in different stages. I mean, here I sit about to be turning 38 this year, and I'm still going through the process of I may get pregnant. And I've been to fertility clinics, and I'm still healthy, and I have plenty of eggs, and I'm on my prenatal vitamins and all of that. Am I still like in a window of I shouldn't be thinking about trying to have a baby?
2: So that 15-year age range, you're absolutely right, is a huge age range. Women are in all kinds of phases of life during that course of time. I have patients who completed their family at 30. I have patients who are 40 and are telling me, I've never been pregnant and I want to be. So that wow. is an important thing to have a discussion with, what are your goals? And have that discussion with your physician.
1: And so you're taking the right steps to exactly. have a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. That I mean, people are starting families a lot later now, yeah. it sounds like. And women are maybe you know settling down later or getting mm-hmm. married or have a
2: partner later in life. Well, and certainly with infertility treatments that makes it possible for women to put that stuff on hold for career travel whatever it yeah. may be knowing that they have those options down the road but with this age range it's such a unique situation because i have some patients where i'm talking to them about them wanting to be pregnant i also have to tell 40 year olds you need birth control
0: <laughs> you know it you could can't assume
2: happen. Like they're done. They're they don't want any more because the kids. men are still fertile. You know they don't want any more kids, but they just assume like, hey, I'm forty, I'm good, and you need to make sure that those patients are also aware. So it's really talking about what are your individual goals and what do you want, and kind of making that plan with your physician.
1: Yeah, vocalizing that with your doctor. What about people that are in scenarios? They're in a relationship and they're talking about should the man get the vasectomy? Should the woman have her tubes tied? What do you feel about that? What do you say to a lot of people in that regard?
2: Yeah, so I I talk with patients about, especially once patients have said, you know, we're done, our family is complete, I lay out all the options. And from the standpoint of certainly vasectomy is a great option, it's... It's not invasive for the woman. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it is really minimally invasive. I mean... As most men, and they won't necessarily agree. But some men are
1: babies, let's be real.
2: Certainly a tubal tubal ligation or having your tubes tied is more invasive from a woman's standpoint. We are able to do that minimally invasive. And is that Um, like a day surgery? It's a day surgery where we're either taking out part or all of the fallopian tubes. Do you Um, get a period after that? So you still get your period because we're not doing anything to the uterus or to the ovaries. So tubal ligation does not affect your period. It does not affect your hormones because it's just the fallopian tubes. It's just what connects... You know, uterus stove. Fascinating. So, yeah. But the other option that I talk with a lot of my patients about, which does affect your periods, is IUDs. So IUD, long-term birth control option. Most of us use an IUD called Mirena. It has progesterone in it, and it lasts for five years. That does affect your period. For most women, their periods stop Yeah, on that option. I have a friend that has the IUD yeah. and she does not get a period. And the really nice option about that, especially when we're talking this age group, women in their th- in their mid to late 30s, is IUDs are reversible. So for we can take it out and a woman can still get pregnant. So that's an option that I talk to a lot about my patients who are 99% sure they're done. Right, But maybe a year down the road, we might change our mind. That's a good option for them because tubal ligation and vasectomy need to be thought of as permanent options.
1: Yeah, and Um, then you have to go back and reverse, and it's another procedure and everything. Well, and Dr. Nelson, April, speaking of the IUDs, sent in a message that said, if a recently placed IUDs string is not found and the whole device is in the uterus, what risks are there? An ultrasound was used to confirm proper placement of the IUD
2: in the uterus. So, What do you say to that? Yeah, so IUDs have two small strings. They're almost like fishing line. Two small strings that hang out of the cervix into the vagina. So you can't see them from the outside, but they're there. Those strings notoriously get stuck up in the cervix or fall off or whatever, and Strings on an IUD are a way for us to check that an IUD is in place. If we can't see the strings, then we use ultrasound to see that it's there.
1: And based on this question, it says the ultrasound confirmed
2: proper placement. Right. There's nothing about the strings that has anything to do with how effective an IUD is. So with her question, her IUD is in the correct location. It is going to work just fine. It's going to do everything she's expecting it to do, both from a contraception and a cycle regulation standpoint. Probably the only complication that comes up is when she's due to have her IUD taken out and or replaced. Sometimes that's a more invasive procedure. It can even sometimes involve a day surgery. Which makes sense. To remove it. Because normally we remove IUDs by pulling on those two strings and taking it out. And if
1: you can't find the string, I mean, I'm almost comparing this to a tampon in a way. Exactly. Well, then they have to go a little bit further. Right. All right. Well, that, that makes sense. Now, during this time of 35 to 50... We were talking about how women are going through so much right now from juggling their careers to kids. I always say women are the CEOs of their households and they are just taking on a lot from taking care of their elderly parents. What are the health risks and important health screenings for women over the age of 35? Because they're busy taking care of everybody else right now, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, really, this is why we at Moreland OBGYN want to make this group a priority because This is such a unique stage of life for women from 35 to 50. So much is going on. So many people still have young families. Their parents are starting to age. We're in the heart of our careers typically. And they're sometimes neglecting their own health. And I mean, I've had patients who haven't been to a doctor since they had their last kid. Or, you you know, that's and that's just the facts because they have too many other things going on. So making women aware and like anything else when we do preventative screening we're setting ourselves up for a healthier future so in this age range you know certainly we're talking annual exam an annual exam can be either with your primary care physician or with an obgyn and that's going to involve a general exam but especially a breast exam and a pelvic yep along with a pelvic exam we want to make sure pap smears are up to date Pap smears are screening for cervical cancer changes on the cervix. They start at age 21, but certainly we want to make sure that we're not forgetting about doing that into midlife as well. And how often you have a pap smear all depends on your history. Your physician can walk you through um, how often those are required. This is the age range where we typically start mammograms. Most recommendations are mammograms annually starting at 40.
1: We had a question on Facebook. Christine asked, is it true a mammogram isn't needed every year if you're not at risk?
2: Now, there, is, there are a couple recommendations from different groups. The United States Task Force is one of them, where they suggested that from 40 to 50, it may not be necessary to have annual Mammograms.
1: I saw that on, on television. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought at 40 you're supposed to.
2: So, you know, we use, as OBGYNs, we use ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as where we get a lot of our recommendations from. And personally, I recommend to my patients annual mammograms at 40.
1: Yes. I'm not a doctor and I'm saying yes. yes. We, I just had a scare. I did a podcast on it that I found a lump in my uh-huh. left breast and my doctor said, you know what? I don't think it's anything to be concerned about, but if you want peace of mind right now, yeah. we can monitor it for a little bit. I said, get me into oh, that mammogram absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Thankfully, it was just two small, sis. But if it wasn't for self-breast exams... I wouldn't have even known that it was there. They were so small. And the peace of mind is priceless to know that it wasn't anything. And when they say, oh, breast cancer doesn't run in my family, we all know people it doesn't run in the family. And here's the deal. Those that it did run in the family, it started with a woman. Exactly. Maybe a man, but typically a woman that it started with. So go get yourself checked out. Exactly. Knowledge
2: is power, right? Right. And to be honest, the only patients that I talk to about Potentially spacing out mammograms in their forties, are if their insurance won't cover it. Yeah, that is not common. I would say that the majority of insurance plans that I have seen my patients come through that they will cover prophylactic or preventative screening mammograms. But isn't breast cancer the the odds of beating it are higher the earlier you detect it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why mammograms are such a great screening test for and breast cancer. they really were It wasn't painful. I mean, it
0: felt
1: a little awkward. It was pressure mm-hmm. I wasn't used to feeling. But the, 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 the women that were working with me were so patient and answered all my questions. And I was really nervous because obviously I had a lump. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, what are they going to find right. here? It was very nerve-wracking. But That peace of mind. I go back to what that peace of mind did for me. Mm -hmm. And that I would recommend to anybody, get yourself checked out.
2: And that's a common misconception that I think a lot of us, you know, who have never had a mammogram or um, don't know anyone who's had breast cancer, pain, usually not a symptom. So when patients are like, well, but this doesn't hurt, that isn't enough to kind of turn me away from from further looking into it, if if a lump is found, then it should be worked up, Yeah, especially so, in this age range.
1: Yes, yes. So, all right, so mammograms, what, what other kind of uh, preventative measures can women be proactive with now?
2: Yeah, so it's also going to involve some lab work. So some of this stuff does get done, you know, as we're coming through our 20s and early 30s, but certainly by 35, we want to make sure we're checking cholesterol. Um, that's done through what's called a lipid panel. And that's something where if we see family history, we become a little more diligent in terms of how often we screen that. But that should be done at least every five years uh, where we're looking at cholesterol level thyroid screening. Thyroid is one of these where I tell my patients, everyone wishes that they had a thyroid disorder because, you know, <laughs> if, it's the, if it's the reason for why they can't lose weight and they're always cold and, and, the stress. and whatever, whatever else. But thyroid, very common in women. Thyroid disorders. Um, and that's in every couple
1: years? So that
2: we should be doing every three to five years. Or I certainly do it sooner if patients have new symptoms arise. Um, but hypothyroid, very common, underactive thyroid. So we want to make sure that we're looking looking for that. Uh, diabetes testing. There's a couple different ways to do diabetes testing. Certainly we want to make sure that a fasting glucose, which means you're it's done in the morning before you've had anything to eat. That gives us a lot of good information as just sort of very general quick tests, screening tests. Where your body's at. Um, There are more diagnostic tests that we do to actually diagnose diabetes, but a good sort of take a look at everybody type of test is a fasting glucose. So that's going to really be what the main screening preventative medicine for this age range is going to include um from an imaging and from an exam and lab work standpoint and really it's going to let us it's going to help us set patients up for just a lot better success down the road
1: well and i think about specifically speaking to moms here how we're so adamant about making sure our kids have everything they need and getting them in for all their appointments and what they need for school But you're doing a disservice to your family if you're not doing that for yourself. It's Because then they may not have a healthy grandma for their kids down Mm -hmm. the road. Or, I mean, we always need our moms. Can we be real? We do. And if you are not taking these measures now, just imagine what life's going to look like at 55 and 60 and even Mm -hmm. beyond that. And what are some of the areas that women can focus on that they can
2: control? Sure. So to kind of use a very trendy term, self-care. Right. We talk about self-care all the time. And I try and talk with my patients about extending that on to their health because the things that we do, there are things we know we should be doing, getting enough sleep, watching what we eat, exercising, going to the doctor and having just those annual exams. All of those things are going to help us sort of cultivate this healthy lifestyle that then in turn projects onto our overall health. But we do have control over those things.
1: Well, and I just thought now this is sort of like an inception moment. Those of you listening to this podcast right now, this is one step in the right direction to self-care. Absolutely. To even just listen to what Dr. Nelson is saying. The next step is now making the appointments or Mm -hmm. perhaps maybe joining a gym or trying to be active. But just listening to this means that you care enough about yourself to try to better yourself. What about working out? There's all these different numbers out there of how many minutes a day and how many days a week. What do you say for a woman 35 to 50 is the average?
2: I mean, I would say that we're trying to get patients to be doing, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five days a week of, you know, weight-bearing exercise. But certainly I tell patients fit in what you can and start manageably. So, yeah. you know, you cannot expect to go from having no exercise routine to I'm going to do this an hour and a half every day 7 days a week. It I mean, goes back just, to realistic goals exactly. and then
1: you're going to you're going to feel bad that you didn't achieve the goal and it's not going to be something you can maintain. And I talk a lot here on this podcast Do what you love. If you love just going for walks, start there. Mm
2: -hmm, Absolutely. I mean,
1: I have a little bit of a fitness background, and that's what I always found with women that I was training with and things like that. If you hate spin class, don't go to a spin class. Right. You're not going to want to go back.
2: And women think that they have to do these very intense workouts to get results. I've had patients who have lost significant weight. I mean, I'm talking like more than 50 pounds walking. They built walking and a healthy diet into their lifestyle, and that together stayed consistent and got results. So I think that's where a lot of women shy away from um, some of those things is that they they think, well, I can't, I can't go to a personal trainer five days a week. You that's not. Necessary?
1: It's not, no. And who can afford it? I mean, unless you're Jennifer Lopez, I don't know who can afford to pay for that. But okay, so we talked about that. What other type of self-care can can women do? I mean, the sleep, stress and anxiety that's so prevalent right now, Dr. Nelson, and people feeling just overwhelmed and what's going on in the world. And I just feel like as women, we we wear a lot of weight of that. How Mm -hmm. do you talk to your patients about managing that?
2: So certainly, you know, when we're talking about screening. We screen every patient for depression, and certainly you want to make sure that those types of feelings aren't the way a diagnosis of depression or anxiety is presenting itself. But I just tell patients to, you know, you need to make sure that you're prioritizing the things in your life. Everyone has something different going on. And certainly from a stress standpoint, finding ways that you can deal with it. And that's different for everybody.
1: Now, what do you think about fad diets? When you talk about a balanced diet and working out, there's so many different fad diets that are out there, and mm-hmm. it's different for everyone. Right. What In general, what do you think about that?
2: I mean, I think that fad diets, I mean, I have a lot of patients coming to talk to me about keto. Yeah. That's we have a couple current, podcasts that we've yeah, done you know, here about the keto, the keto diet. The, and for patients who need to lose weight, you know, particularly from a health standpoint, there's certainly a role for that. Whether or not for just the average woman walking into my office who, let's say, wants to drop 20 pounds, whether or not that is a sustainable lifestyle for her is hard to say. And certainly I talk to patients more from a diet standpoint in terms of portion control. How I tell, I tell my patients all the time, you cannot eat an unlimited amount of healthy food. Yeah. that Because calories are calories. Um, that's that's true. So you
1: never heard someone say, Oh my gosh, they had a heart attack because they ate so many green peppers. Right.
2: So um so I do say, you know, and a lot of women talk to me about it from a weight loss standpoint. Women want to lose weight. What should they do from a diet standpoint? And, You're coming at it from a
1: healthy standpoint though. Right.
2: And you have to do what's healthy for you too. Right. So certainly fad diets are gonna work for some patients and for some they're they're not. But that's where I always start, with balance and portion control, calorie counting. I tell patients, spend a whole week just writing down everything that you eat. It is eye-opening.
1: I use the MyFitnessPal, mm-hmm. and if you're honest with the app, there are days where you're going to say, okay, well, all right, we kind of yes. overdid that a little right. bit. I have a sweet tooth, I do, but it is really eye-opening. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you like manage a budget, you think about your money. And if, you have, if every dollar has a purpose, shouldn't every calorie have a purpose? Right, right, And I could not believe how much sugar I was actually eating.
2: Well, I tell patients, if you're going to chart what you eat, don't make a change that first week. Just do what you normally do. Just because, like they say with a
1: budget, write everything down that you spend and right, then go back and look right. and say,
2: okay, well, where
1: can we cut?
2: Because I think that's what's most eye-opening. If, if you're like, okay, today is when I'm going to count calories and I'm super good today. <laughs> that's that's a lot harder to make a change versus if I spend the whole week just eating how I normally would. And then I look back on the week and see, wow, here's where this is where I could really. And
1: no one has to see it. You could just throw it away. No one has to see exactly what it is if you are worried about actually putting it in writing. But that's great advice. I thought about uh, something while you were talking about just trying to eat well and taking care of yourself and everything. Luke Perry popped in my head. 52 years old, passed away of a stroke and you hear about, you know, men having these heart attacks and if their left arm is tingly and what do you say about that with women when it comes to heart attacks or strokes? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's a lot of factors that can play into that if you smoke and you're overweight and everything. And maybe that's a really broad question, but what are some things that we could look for?
2: I think like some of the signs. Right. So the difficult thing with it is that for for women the signs are oftentimes different than what we see in men. I don't even know what this um, I know what they are for men. Right. I've always so, heard about
1: what they are for men, but what are they for women? And
2: certainly and certainly some of those signs from from a heart attack standpoint for instance can be similar. But, you know, some women, you know, when they're having cardiac issues, some women feel like they have the flu or some women get bad nausea or you know, just like these very vague symptoms that can be easy to put off. I think that's the biggest issue is that they these vague symptoms can be like, oh, I'm just not feeling well today. Oh, I, I ate something that's not sitting or right. Or they might think or, it's the start of menopause or something right, like that too. Right. So from that standpoint, it's important to not blow things off if you're feeling different. And, you know, we deal a lot with Dr. Google <laughs> – in our, do you love in that or pre- do, you, do you hate that? It's I mean, do I do not want people to Google things before they come and see you. I don't mind. I don't mind it as long as they're using reputable sources. WebMD, you no know, WebMD, really probably fine. Okay. Frankly, you know the local mom's Facebook group <laughs> where <laughs> yes. like four people chime in that this is what they're and they're cousins, all experts. Yeah, exactly. This is what their cousin's best friend had. Probably not the, probably not the best. But that's where. Being connected with your physician is really what, it's really how it can help is if you are connected with your physician, I mean, we have the ability to get emails from our patients and, you know, for not things that are not emergent, but they need, they have a question or they need something answered that that's a way to get those answers from a reputable source.
1: Yeah. And if you are looking for a new doctor, OBGYN, Moreland OBGYN out in Waukesha, are you accepting new patients? We are. And yeah. your website is really full of information, too. What What is the website yeah. again?
2: So our website is com. A lot of the stuff that we talked about today, morlandobgyn.com slash health, is a lot of stuff geared towards the age group that we've been talking about. A lot of health quizzes, surveys, things like that to kind of test your knowledge on what you should and shouldn't be doing in this age group.
1: Well, thank you for focusing on the age group of 35 to 50, Growing up, we are taught so much about puberty and your period, and then there's not a whole lot after that. Right. And then we're told, get your mammograms, and then there's really not much talk about anything else. So thank you for focusing in on this, because as we've learned from this podcast, there are measures you can take now so that you can have a long, healthy life and after 50 and long into your 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s, and maybe even 90s if, yeah. if you're lucky enough. So thank you so much for being here. And we're going to link this up too at 991themix.com if you want to reach out to Dr. Allison Nelson. And no question is off limits. I talk to people that feel embarrassed to talk to their doctors. You're, you're doctors. you probably heard it all at this point. So we
2: definitely we definitely encourage any question. And you
1: want to you want to help people. That's Absolutely. ultimately why you became a doctor. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being here Dr. Nelson. Thank you for having me. This has been the 50 Shades of K podcast with host Elizabeth K. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Thanks for listening.